been stated. Uh, this, these are unprecedented times, and uh, man, I miss you guys. Uh, I miss you being here. I miss us being a church family, uh, getting to, uh, to gather, and I want you to hear that. Um, we take things for granted, and uh, as, as we sing, as the book of Job tells us, he gives and he takes away, and so uh, makes us all the more thankful for uh, the times that we do get to meet, and hopefully that will be sooner rather than later. Um, but as we look at this uh, situation that we're in, as we look to the scriptures, um, I want you, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Romans 8. And thankfully, uh, Luke and, and the whole AV team has done a lot of work this week. And I, so I think we're going to have the, I think you just had the words and, and you're going to have the words to uh, scripture as well as my points. So it, it's very exciting. I went a little crazy with the points, I think. So I got a number of them. Um, but because I was pretty excited that you were going to get to see them. So, so that is great. And this is just a freebie. Uh, uh, what is it called? Five Crowns. Five Crowns. Family card game. Uh, I spent too, too much time probably this week focusing on that game. It's a great game. I want to encourage everyone to purchase that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a freebie. Um, I don't know why I just said that right then, but I just thought of that. Um, so this is Romans 8. Uh, we're going to look at uh, verse 28 uh, through 29, and then actually we're going to jump to 38 and uh, 39. Here's Paul. He says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I just want to ask you this question this morning. It's this. If the world takes everything away from you, and in some ways we've experienced that, maybe not everything, but many things, if the world takes everything away from you, um, uh, is there any way to maintain your equilibrium? Is there any way to maintain your joy? Because um, I think when we look at this passage, we, we find some key answers that hopefully will change uh, your Sunday, maybe change your next week. And I think the first uh, example of, of these verses that we have just read is Jesus himself. Because when you think about Jesus and him coming into this world, he came into this world without anything. He came into it with poverty. He was born into danger. Jesus was, uh, his family had to flee to Egypt to escape uh, slaughter. There was, what, no room for him in the inn. Out of Jesus' poverty, though, came what? Great spiritual riches. Out of, out of his weakness, Jesus' weakness came all kinds of strength. Out of Jesus' rejection and out of his isolation came what? Came all of this unity, um, uh, this love through unity. And Paul is trying to tell us all things work together for good in the lives of those who love God. That means all things bad and good. That means uh, small and, and little things and huge things and monotonous things and sporadic things every single thing that you've experienced even this week god will use for those that love him and so 
uh, as you think about this, I, I want to just explain a little bit about what it isn't, though. Because some of us can read this verse and you think, oh, you know, um, you know, when we talk about hard things, it's really just kind of superficially bad. Things aren't really that bad. Um, you know, we would say things like, oh, behind every cloud, there's a silver lining, right? Um, and if you have a, a really biblical perspective, things really aren't that bad. That's not what I'm trying to say, and that's when, not what the scriptures are trying to say. Think about Jesus when he had lost Lazarus. He's going to the tomb of Lazarus, and um, what's his demeanor? I mean, you would think when he would get there, he might say, hey, you know what, uh, um, uh, wait till you see what I'm about to do. I'm going to do a little bibbity bobbity boo and, you know, a little bada zing, bada zing, you know, a little wizardry, and I'm going to pull him up from the, from the dead. No. Um, Jesus was what? He was distraught. Jesus, it says, he, he wept. It says he, he even felt some anger. Jesus knew that there was really, uh, there was pain, true pain there. There's actually true evil. He's not trying to say, Paul is not trying to say that there aren't bad things. And there's just uh, silver linings everywhere that you have to find. He's saying, no, um, there are very hard things that we are going through. This pandemic is real and it's caused real problems. But what he is saying is this, um, I want you to think of things in their sum total that god what god is overruling he is shaping he is mastering he has mastered everything and so in the end what he he's going to defeat this evil do you believe that or as morgan has mentioned are you are you uh, rot with fear or maybe you're rot with anger that we're in this situation here's what ann anderson says in, in writing her, her uh, article, Heart to Heart, she says, uh, I was 35 and Will was 38 when we were married, both for the first time. We decided to try for a baby our first year, but I had a tendency to miscarry, and we were disappointed over and over. She writes this, Without Romans 8.28 as my best friend, I would have been sucked under except for in all things God works for the good. And then she writes this, Today, Will and I stand in awe over four little boys God gave us through adoption. Because of Jesus, everything, anything, will work for good as you love God. Do you believe that? Do you believe there is purpose in what is happening? How do you digest, how do you put into perspective what is going on in our world right now? Even more poignantly, Richard Exley, author Richard Exley, writes this about his pastor, who returned to the pulpit 10 days, 10 days after his son committed suicide. And he read this text, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And here's what he said during that sermon. He says, I cannot make my son's suicide fit into this passage. It's impossible for me to see how anything good can come of it. Yet, I realize that I only see a part of it. I only know in part. And then he uses this analogy. He says, it's like the miracle of a shipyard. Almost every part of our great uh, ocean-going vessels are made of steel. And so if you take any single part uh, of, of a ship, be it a steel plate uh, out of the hull or a huge rudder, and if you throw them into the ocean, what's going to happen? They're going to sink, he says. 
It will stink because, or sink because steel doesn't float. But when the shipbuilders are finished, he writes, or he says, when the last plate has been riveted in place, then what? Then the massive steel ship is virtually unsinkable. Taken by itself, my son's suicide is senseless. Throw it into the sea of Romans 8.28 and it sinks. Still, I believe that when the eternal shipbuilder has finally finished, when God has worked out his perfect design, even this senseless tragedy will somehow work to our eternal good. So what's the point? Here's the point. Our bad things will turn out for good. Do you believe that? That our bad things will turn out for good. That is just basic. And so as you think about that point, here's what I want to do. I want to give you some sub points very quickly. Maybe you could see your week this way. Okay, Frank, how could this stoppage of our lives, how could God be bringing good out of it? First, I want you to think about this. I think God is... Uh, letting us realize just how vulnerable we humans are in a broken world. He wants you to know that. He wants to know uh, you to know how, uh, how vulnerable we are. Like that. What did we lose? We lost sports. We lost money. We lost health. We lost routine. We lost special days. And what does that do to you? God wants you in this state of vulnerability. All things that, that he allows to happen work together for your good. And as we understand ourselves as being vulnerable, you know what I think that's going to do? That's going to cause a great amount of humility. And when we are humble, when we don't think too highly of ourselves, when we don't think about ourselves too much, we change. Uh, our, entire, uh, our entire personality, I believe, will change. Our whole uh, temperament Changes. God is letting us realize just how vulnerable we are. Second thing closely related to this is this. God is letting us experience uh, just how much we are not in control um, of our existence. I mean, as a parent, what is, what is a key thing that I don't want to happen? I don't want my kids to be adversely affected uh, in anything. And you know what? This, this has really upended uh, you know, my kids' lives. And um, I don't want them to experience this fear and, and these stats that come out every day. And we say, how, how many have it? How many in the world have it? Well, how many have passed away? I don't want, them to, I don't want that to be our experience, uh, their experience. But I can't control that. I can't. So it causes me what? It causes me again to be humble, but it causes me to be patient. And I think when you take humility and you take patience... That's when I think, you know what? I think that's when we become more like Christ because when we read the passage, part of what he's doing is he is conforming you into the image of Christ. And so thirdly, as a sub-point, God is showing us that when we begin to think about others, you know what? Life is richer. It's fuller. And for some of us, you know what it means? It means actually playing the family game. It means, you know what, I, I, I'm not always going to have the text shot to me. I'm going to start shooting out texts. It's been cool to, to, for some of you to reach out to me this week and for you to think, uh, Frank, how are you doing? 
It's been so meaningful, and I, I so appreciate it. What's the attitude that you bring to your house when you think about your mom, kids, or your dad? And I know you've been in the house all day long. Maybe you've only gone outside a couple of times, but what does it mean for you to think about them and to think, you know what? I want to be helpful to bring the family together. I don't want to be the first one to complain. Dads, what does it mean for you to think about your, your wife and to think, you know what? I can't be short-tempered. I can't have a short wick. You know what? Everybody's in this together. And you know what? It, it's time for me to lead, to set the example, because I'm thinking about my daughter or my son or my wife more than I'm thinking about what I want. I'm not just going to go hide in the den, though maybe some of us should more, more than we have. Uh, maybe we're out there too much and we're just annoying, but, you know. Um, but what does it mean um, to not be motivated by self-interest and to realize, no, no, this is what Jesus has done for me. He's given his life for me. So you know what I can do? I know all things are going to work together for good, so I want to be a part of that. Um, what, was it mean? what would it mean to help with dinner, to help clean the house, right? To stop staring at our phones the entire time if that's bringing the household down. To think for others. We begin to change. You know what? I've seen that happen. I, I really have. I, I've seen, I think this is bringing out, in a lot of ways, the best of West Town. People are thinking, what can we do for all these preschoolers? Why don't we have them come and say hi to all these teachers out here? And we saw that actually um, in the neighborhoods. Teachers going around, meeting their kids. I saw that. My wife um, went out to, to bring supplies to a child who didn't even have internet service at all. It still doesn't. But brought the su supplies to their house and, and um, cared enough to do that. God shows us uh, himself he got he shows us the meaning as we begin to change a uh, fourth thing god is bringing us to a place to the place to cry out for healing you know what i've heard prayers over the past three and four weeks that i've never heard before from people when you cry out and you mean it when you pray with a desperation you know what that is god using bad for good you are changing because what you're doing when you pray and you beg God to heal is you are showing a desperation and a dependence that maybe you've never shown before. It's so beautiful for your walk with Christ. And some of us, we need um, to, to call out to God because you know what? This crisis is, I believe, it's beyond the medical uh, system in some ways. I mean, our, our, our medical systems aren't even, you know, are starting to not be able to handle all the patients. And so we have to cry out and ask God for discernment, for wisdom, for, for supernatural power. And lastly, I know this is a very long point, but thank you for staying with me, is that God, I believe, is using a crisis to what? To minimize divisions. Now, I know sometimes when you, if you look on Facebook or you look on social media, you would see heightened divisions as far as what exactly we should do. But you know what? Think about how much... Um, our city, our area has come together. And we're just thinking for the greater good. We're not thinking for ourselves as much. I believe God is using that right now. And so, I believe his, his desire is for you to be conformed into the image of Christ. And so for you not to just survive this. That maybe, maybe you're called, uh, your whole entire character is going to be shaped by, by this crisis that we're having. I mean, I sometimes think as we're walking to Easter, what would I have done? 
if I would have been one of the 12 disciples and I would have been there as Jesus is being hoisted up onto that, uh, you know, he's nailed on the cross and he's hoisted up. If I would have been there on Good Friday and I would have just known what everybody in the Bible times uh, knew, I wouldn't have known the future. I think to myself, I would have said something like, um, uh, how could you, God, take this man and put him up and kill him? How could you do that? This is not right. I am, you know, I wonder even if I would lose my faith if I would see him um, hoisted up onto that cross um, or at least be tremendously shaken. But the reality of it is that's the greatest thing that God could have ever done is, is give his son as a gift to us. But because it didn't fit into my little brain patterns, because it doesn't fit into my box, I struggle with it. I would have said, I don't see what God could possibly be doing. But if you really think about that, and you think about even this whole uh, pandemic, and you, and you believe, I don't, I don't believe God is doing anything good. You know what we're saying ultimately? Is we're saying that, you know, God doesn't know what he's doing. It's the ultimate sh- uh, sign or re- revelation of, of, um, uh, of arrogance. And uh, we have to trust that, you know what? Our bad things will turn out good. All right. Well, second big point. I know I just gave you a ton of little ones, but I'm going to give you the second big point uh, as we read this passage. It's this, that our most truly good things can never be taken away from us. When you read this passage, you understand that it's not you going to God. It's God coming to you. You left to your own self would not follow after him. I mean, human religion, a humanistic religion says, yeah, you go to God and you try to get good enough. But if you understand the human heart, here's what we know. You will never choose God. God has to choose you. You are dead in your sin. And that's what's beautiful. That because it's God pursuing you, you can what? You, the, the good things that he gives you will never be taken away. Neither height nor depth, right? Uh, nor, nor principalities of darkness. None of this can be taken away. When you understand that, you're the criminal on the cross who says you are the son of God instead of Judas, who says, you know what? No, it's about me and the way I want to do life. I'll sell them out for 30 pieces of silver. You become the humble, the patient one that needs God to move in your life. And so when you think about Jesus, when you think about the way in which he came, he came here to what? To pay the penalty for our sin. He came to give us love, an unconditional love that ultimately changes us. And as we talked about last, uh, last week, remember, God does not function as your boss he functions as your father. Because, I mean, as a boss can, can uh, say to an employee, you know what, you've screwed up over and over again. You know, I've tried to be nice, but, but I'm going to really have to let you go. What happens when a son or a daughter messes up? What happens in the heart of a parent? What do they do more? They love more intensely. The more that you screw up and the more that you sin, your father in heaven, because he is your daddy, he is, he is looking for ways to work in you, to intensify, to focus his love. You cannot lose that 
love. You, in, in, nothing inside of you and nothing outside of you, nothing inside or outside of you can do anything to be separated from that. And if you believe that, you know what? There's security there. And some of you need to feel that. You need to understand it's not about what you are doing for him. It's about what he has done for you. It's him coming to you. When you understand that and you realize you cannot lose that, there's a security, there's an assurance that builds up inside of you. The last thing is this. The last thing is this, that our best things are yet to come. That as we understand um, what... Uh, what, what Paul was saying as we understand um, Romans 8 here uh, 29 and 30 he put his love on us he pardoned us and it says this uh, he will glorify you that he could never forsake you but one day you will be glorified because remember Jesus on the cross said um, excuse me Jesus on the cross never said uh, father um, I, I, I won't do this he said, you know what, my father has forsaken me. And, and Jesus, as he was forsaken, as Jesus, as, as the face of his father was turned, and, and God the father forsook his own son, you know what that, that, that uh, verified? Is that we will never, ever be forsaken. And that we can one day look to what is yet to come. Because here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I think we have this, in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. Oh, excuse me, I'm going to start with verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are, and many of us feel this right now, we are hard-pressed on every side. But, he says, we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but you know what? We are not destroyed. If we jump to verse 16, let's go to the next. Therefore, you know what? We don't lose heart. Though we are outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed every single day for our light and momentary troubles. That means the coronavirus. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them are. Our best things are yet to come when i was 10 years old i finally got to go on space mountain and i was so excited but when i got to to the ride there you know what i realized i was going to have to wait uh i remember my mom saying it was probably going to be about an hour wait for a 10 year old you know that might as well be 10 years right so i'm sitting there in line you know i'm i don't know i was probably being annoying just like oh man this is terrible this is utterly terrible hour went by and i remember i got on this ride and i just don't think i realized the whole thing was in the dark and so i'm sitting there and then this ride takes off and i experience things that i've never experienced before right so i mean i'm going i'm banking to the left i'm banking to the right i'm going way up i'm going way down i'm hearing everybody scream and about you know 30 seconds into it i just kind of let myself go and just enjoyed it and for about 90 seconds there it was probably the most fun i'd ever had in my entire life i remember walking out i remember seeing my dad and and my sister um and they're like what was it like and it, it was like 
It was unbelievable. I am a man now because I just accomplished, I just uh, overcame Space Mountain. You know what I didn't tell them about? My light and momentary troubles of being in an hour for 60 minutes because you know what? It didn't even compare to what the joy and the awesomeness of Space Mountain. Now, I know that can be a, maybe a, a chintzy illustration, but I do think it makes a point that when we understand that the best things are yet to come, and maybe right now we're still standing in line, but if you know what's yet to come, it's going to be so remarkable. What, what, what God says is going to be so much glory. You know, the light is going to be so magnificent. We won't know what to do with it. I want that to give you hope. I want that as we are in these light and momentary times of this coronavirus, know that your future, your better days are yet to come. And if you know that, if you know that in your heart, you know what, I think you can get through this time with more patience, uh, with, with more gentleness, with more kindness. Because we had a man go before us and it was tempted and tried and, 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 and pained in every single way. And yet not one time did he sin. And he did it for you and for me. If we can have that mindset, you know what? I think we will change. I think God might even use this pandemic for his glory. As he promises to in his word. So let me pray. And uh, let me ask God to change us.